Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 58th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is the new normal, restoring profitability in law firms, which was based on the cover story from the July-August 2012 issue of Law Practice Magazine of the same title. Jim and I are very happy to have as our guest today, Arthur Green. Arthur is a principal with Boyer Green LLC, an organization that provides management consulting services to small and mid-sized law firms. Having practiced law for over 35 years, during part of which he was the managing partner of a 70-lawyer firm, Arthur's consulting practice now includes profitability studies, firm audits, governance, compensation plans, strategic planning, mergers, succession planning, transitions, and other aspects of maintaining a healthy firm. Arthur has served as chair of the ABA's Law Practice Management section and is a fellow of the College of Law Practice Management. Welcome, Arthur. Oh, thanks, Sharon. I'm glad to be here and uh, talking about a subject that I feel strongly about and think is pretty important for law firms today. Well, let's get right to it. When you're addressing the new normal in this economy, you talk about skilled management being the price of admission for lawyers. Hasn't skilled management really always been necessary to a successful practice? You know, it has been particularly in larger firms, and I think large firms either succeed or fail based on their management. But I'll tell you what I've seen in in smaller and mid-sized firms, and that is that oftentimes in the past, they've gotten by with little management or no management or not terribly good management. And I I think what I've found is in the smaller firms, uh, maybe anywhere from two or three lawyers up to uh, 25 or 30 lawyers, they only give it as much management time as they absolutely have to. And what has happened over the last five years, and I've seen it over and over, in firms that I've visited with, and that is the firms that really focus on management are continuing to do well. And those that have gotten by in the past without good management, they're the ones that are are struggling and not doing as well, and uh, some are actually going out of business. Arthur, you've also discussed the important issue of trying to improve law firm revenue with the existing resources in place. What's the significance of that particular concept? Well, you know, it's in my mind, it is really a first step. And I think it comes from the fact I have seen so many firms that just aren't taking advantage of what they have. They're not uh, they're not maximizing their their revenue from uh, from the resources they have. So surely, uh, surely there are other innovative things that we may end up talking about before we get done. But For most small and mid-sized firms, I find that, uh, you know, taking a look at the resources you have in place and finding out if you're you're getting what you should out of them is uh, is just a very important first step. Can, Can you give us an example of that, Arthur? Well, you know, one of the things I I ask firms to do or I do with firms is I do a capacity analysis. And a capacity analysis is really just determining what kind of revenue they should be able to produce if everything goes well, if everything goes as it's supposed to. So I take the the, the basic model, which is uh, focused on, on hourly work because many firms are still using hourly billing. And if you take everybody's hourly rate, and you take the number of hours they work, and uh, you know each firm has its own culture. Some uh, some has more aggressive uh, requirements. Some 
pretty, a pretty lifestyle type requirement. So you take the number of hours that the firm believes should be the goals times the hourly rate. And then you assume that you collect, you bill and collect 100% of that. That's what I call the capacity of a law firm. Now, most firms, or probably most all firms, aren't going to be able to achieve their capacity. That would be unrealistic, but it is a, it's a benchmark. It's a benchmark. And then I look at and see what their actual revenue is. And what I find in doing that is for many, many of the smaller and mid-sized firms, their, their actual uh, capacity is sometimes as much as twice what, the, what the, uh, their revenue is. Put another way, their, their ratio is only 50 or 60% of capacity. And once I've, once I've determined that, I know that there's, that there's money to be had, as I say, with existing resources. And then the question comes, where is the shortfall? Is it in recording of hours? Is it in work ethic? Is it in write downs? Is it in failing to collect? But there are any number of things that can cause that, uh, that discrepancy. And I think the one thing that's been surprising to me is how much money is lost in, in law firms because the, the actual revenue is way lo lower than their capacity. So that brings me around to what's the first step you take, and that is to, to find out why there is a shortfall and undertaking to correct it. How do you know if your firm, if your profits compare well or badly to other similar small firms? Well, with, with particularly with small firms or even mid-sized firms, it's uh, there's very little information out there. I I remember when I was managing partner, I knew an awful lot about uh, the uh, financial status of our own firm, but had very little information about about other firms. So, it's uh, it, unless you're in a position like I am and you get to see a number of firms, it's very hard to get that that information. But what I what I like to tell people is that that isn't necessarily the right question to be asking. I'm trying to make you like some other firm. The question in my mind isn't that, but rather it is, can I improve my firm? And that brings me back to my, my theme here. What is the revenue capacity of my firm? How am I doing against that? And can I improve by 10 or 20%? And I, I think it's a very powerful concept, and I think we all appreciate it, but it never hurts to say it again. I mean, if you can increase your revenue by 10% while keeping your expenses at about the same level, you're, it's, uh, you're going to increase your, um, your profits by 20%. All of that extra money is going to go to profits, and uh, that's, that's a very powerful tool. Well, that, that is very interesting. Uh, this uh, revenue capacity number, forgive me, seems to be almost a little theoretical, particularly in the smaller firms, Arthur, where partners have to spend a lot of time on management and other marketing and other administrative issues. Why, why do you feel this number is so significant? Well, I, I guess I would uh, I would agree that in small firms, partners spend a lot of time on uh, on other issues, but still the um, they do need to decide what what number of hours they are going to devote to billable work. Uh, 
And in some small firms, it might be as little as 1,200 hours, taking into account all of these other things they do. And I, I think one of, the, one of the advantages of what I'm suggesting is we're not setting a number that meets anybody else's standard. It's what the standard is in, in the firm. So I guess I start with the proposition that it's a very modest number, perhaps, in some circumstances. The other thing, a point I'd like to make here is I find that firms that do have a goal or lawyers that have a goal, whether it's dollars in the door or hours, uh, billable hours, those firms do better than firms that don't have a goal. And I can think back to my own practice uh, when I was a practicing lawyer with a, with a bit larger firm. And I knew that if I didn't look at the end of the day and, and figure out how many hours I had billed, I wasn't going to do very well. And so I had that goal in mind of six hours or six and a half hours each day. And I see a lot of lawyers today that just don't have a goal, whether it's a partner or an associate, and those firms are always under the gun in terms of not billing enough hours, not uh, charging, collecting enough money. So that, that's why I think this is important. It's twofold. One, it's analysis, but it's also having a goal that you can, uh, you can look forward to achieving. I noticed uh, in your article that you have a recommendation of financial reports necessary to good management. What problems do you see in firms that try to manage without a full set of financial reports? Well, they, they really have no tools to look for where the shortfalls occur. You know, I've talked about, you know, if you're missing, if you're, if you're only 50% of revenue capacity and you're trying to decide, okay, where am I, where is that other 50% going? You really need a full set of reports in order to determine where it's going. And once you determine where it's going, then you can kind of take corrective, corrective action. I, uh, I have eight or nine reports that I think are, are critical. One is a profit and loss statement, two balance sheet, aged work in process, aged receivables, billable hour reports, billing reports, billing realization reports, and collection realization reports. And those are the reports that I encourage every firm, large or small, to, uh, to have. And unfortunately, in many firms, it depends upon whether the bookkeeper is really familiar with law firms and, and, and the, the analysis of uh, the financial condition of law firms. And there are a lot of firms that have either part-time bookkeepers or bookkeepers that, uh, that come in with their QuickBooks knowledge and don't really understand law firms. They only, they only use those reports that are necessary to their performance, which is, you know, payroll, paying bills, uh, billing clients, and collecting money. And so in many, many firms, I see about half of those reports are missing. In today's environment, which of the several financial indicators do you consider most important? You know, the, uh, the billing realization report is the one that uh, is, in my mind, the most important today. And it's also the one that small and mid-sized firms often overlook, billing realization and or collection realization. And really, the, what that is, is that's the profitability of the work. For instance, under billing realization, if you've booked $5,000, on a project and you end up only billing 4,000 for whatever reason, that's a billing realization of 80%. That's showing uh, how close you are to sort of meeting, meeting the capacity. 
many, many small and mid-sized firms just don't track that. And in my mind, that's, a, that's an important tool. Another aspect of that, which I think is important, particularly in firms of more than five or 10 lawyers, where you may have two people working on a file or a lawyer and a paralegal, is the, the responsible attorney concept. And that is the attorney who is responsible for the file gets uh, credit for not only that attorney's hours and dollars, but anybody working on the file with that attorney. So any associate time and dollars or any paralegal time or dollars gets credited to the, the responsible attorney. The reason that is important is that you want the responsible attorney to get credit for the work that's being delegated or you want the responsible attorney to um, be penalized, if you will, if, if resources are wasted and time is written off. And the only way you can accomplish that is to, to put that in that the responsible attorney's category. What I see in a lot of cases is smaller firms that have, uh, have reports where every lawyer and every paralegal has hours and dollars beside their name. And that doesn't accomplish the same thing because, you know, if a, if a partner writes off some paralegal time, it's the paralegal that uh, gets hurt, at least on the financial reports, not the, not the partner that writes it off. When you're visiting with a firm that's struggling financially, and I'm sure you've done a heck of a lot of that over the last few years, what, what do you find are the most common underlying causes of their problems? Well, you know, I, I find it is usually this, um, this difference between what their capacity is and what their actual revenue is. Uh, I mean, sometimes as little as 40 or 50%, and usually it has to do with write-offs or write-downs, not recording all the time or, or recording it but not billing it or not, uh, not collecting it. And what I find is that firms that give the best client service don't have that problem. If a client feels like they're being well taken care of, the uh, communication is good, and uh, the client feels quite content with the, uh, the lawyer's services, the lawyer is going to feel more comfortable billing out 100% of the effort and not writing it down or pushing a little harder to collect. And so what, what I see in a lot of firms that are struggling is the client service is poor, the billing isn't timely, communication isn't good, and the lawyer knows that the client maybe is a little bit unhappy, so the, uh, the lawyer isn't as apt to uh, bill the full amount, and they write things down. And, and what happens is you write down $1,000 here and $1,000 there, and each time the lawyer does it, it doesn't seem like much, but you add it up and it comes to a lot. So those are the kind of things I see in firms that are, that are, that are having trouble today. There are law firms that are growing and succeeding in spite of the current economy. What, what are the common factors that you see that allow some firms to really succeed while other firms are still financially challenged? Well, you know, it starts with all of the things we've been talking about, um, you know, having goals, um, analyzing the capacity, identifying lost revenue, and really giving good client service. That's, that's just the baseline. That's the starting point. Or as I said at the beginning of my, my article, that is the price of admission. I think one other thing that is real important is uh, firms are realizing one by one that marketing is essential. 
And I know 10, 20 years ago, a lot of firms just had so much business, they didn't have to have to market. And one by one, firms are realizing, you know, we don't have a marketing plan. Our lawyers aren't concerned about that. And so they're, they're kind of focusing more on marketing, and that's important. But, but, you know, there are some innovative things that are going on that are really setting apart some firms. Um, and one example of that is alternative billing. And uh, the, uh, the profession has been talking about getting away from hourly billing for, oh, 20 years or more. And uh, it's really, uh, there's been some movement in that direction. It, it, it hasn't taken off up until now, certainly. But I find that in this economy, there are some firms that are using the fact they don't bill by the hour as a marketing tool. They have predictable fees, flat rates, whatever, and they're advertising that. They advertise it on the internet and all of their marketing. And those firms, some of them are actually growing at a time when other firms are, are contracting some. I heard a, a fellow say once, and I would give uh, attribution, except I don't remember who it was. Someone said, you know, what made you successful in the past isn't going to make you successful in the future. And I believe that. And I think that's one of the things that once you get the financial base in place and you're managing well, you have skill management and you're doing all of those things, then it's going to be innovation and really changing, uh, changing how you practice law that's going to uh, carry the day. Any final thoughts or recommendations for firms that are seeking to improve their financial condition, which I guess is almost everyone? Well, yes, it certainly is. And I think it really starts with the basics, which is what the article I wrote is mostly about. It's about analyzing what you're doing and how you're doing it and getting the most you can out of your existing resources. That's step number one. And then uh, one of the advantages of that is it can be done fairly quickly and it can bring results fairly quickly. Uh, you know, within, within three months, if you really focus on those sorts of things and better client service and uh, making sure you find the revenue that you're leaving on the table, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Then you can look at more of the long-range things, the innovative things, and maybe the things that require you to spend money. That's how I'd approach it. There are a lot of things to consider, but uh, getting the foundation in place is, uh, in my mind, the one thing that most law firms can benefit from and many law firms just aren't addressing. Well, I'm sure after listening to you, Arthur, a lot of folks are going to go out and take some of your recommendations. I, I did want to tell you that both Jim and I were extremely impressed with your article in Law Practice Magazine on this subject. Uh, a you. lot, You're very welcome. A lot of firms seem entirely befuddled by the new normal, as you call it, so I'm sure that your advice is, is much appreciated. Thank you so much for joining us on the Digital Edge and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. That's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge, Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>